Kunna Dhamma's Pada on the book Kai, some of the teachings of the Buddha. It said, in this world, hatred never yet dispels hatred. Only love dispels hatred. This is the law, ancient and inexhaustible. You too shall pass away. Knowing this, how can you hate? Loving kindness, I feel, is a, a way of being, a spirit of being, which is actually very crucial to not only our own well-being, but to the well-being of our planet, our communities, our relationships, and ourselves. I think it would be a great error to think of loving-kindness in terms of being some luxury that we offer to ourselves at a certain point. It seems much more to me that loving-kindness is actually a spirit which is rather essential to us. Loving-kindness is the greatest of human arts. Learning how to cultivate our heart learning how to live in a spirit of impeccability and generosity. In so many ways, it is much simpler to live in a spirit of loving-kindness than it is to live in a spirit of anger or hatred. Living in that spirit of generosity is something that brings tremendous integrity and dignity to ourselves and others. We should never underestimate the power of our capacity to touch ourselves and to touch our world with loving kindness. In the Buddhist tradition, it is said that there is no barrier and no obstacle which enough loving-kindness cannot penetrate. Loving-kindness brings with it a certain power, not when it is held as an idea or a concept or a romantic notion, but loving-kindness, I feel, brings with it an immense power through its embodiment in the way that we touch the world, touch ourselves and touch each moment. Now, there is no living being in this world who is exempt from the need for loving-kindness because there is no living being in this world who is exempt from pain. In the moments of suffering and sorrow in our own lives, when we experience the pain of loss or separation or loneliness, in those moments, it is not prescription or good advice or formula that we find ourselves yearning for. What truly makes a difference to us in those moments is the loving touch and presence of another. In the conflict and pain that exists within our world, it is not yet more righteousness, or belief systems, 
of prescriptions that are called for. In the pain and in the sorrow that scars our world, what is needed is for each of us to know what it means to touch our world with loving kindness and to live in a spirit of service and impeccability. There is actually, most often enough in our world, of resources, of food, of energy. What there isn't sufficient of is a spirit of generosity and care, where we learn to live with each other in a way where we respect the dignity and integrity of all life. When we think of our own life, what it feels like to live with anger, or what it feels like to be filled with with hatred or alienation, all of us perhaps have had these moments in our lives. And we know that those moments are sometimes moments of great darkness, moments which are truly prisons, where the heart is imprisoned. All that we see in those moments of darkness is shadows, the shadows of ourselves, the shadows in another person. In those moments where we feel imprisoned by anger or alienation, forgiveness and understanding and compassion and friendliness, they tend to be drowned out or forgotten in the power of our ill will. If we think of our own lives, those moments when we truly feel bonded and connected with nature, with another person, even with ourselves. Think of those moments when you really feel deeply connected with a sense of care and generosity and compassion. How in those moments there is a profound sense of connectedness, of openness, of receptivity. Think of the moments when we have been sunk ourselves in pain or rejection and what it has meant to us to receive the loving care and support of another person. And think too of those moments when you have been able to touch another person who is in sorrow with the simplicity of your own care and your own warmth. These are the moments, these moments of being able to touch and be touched. These are the moments when so many barriers and so many walls of separation begin to dissolve. They are profound moments. In a way, those are the moments when we drop so many of the props of our identities, our histories, our credentials, our possessions, our identities, we are simply there as human beings present with other human beings. Our lives and our experience are a microcosm, a microcosmic view of the lives and the experience of all living beings. From the smallest creature to the most powerful person, fear 
and hatred and division causes pain and alienation. Care, compassion and loving kindness heal. These are almost universal laws. When we are able to step a little bit outside of our separate selves, or even to let go a little bit of our holding on to our sense of I, my individuality. Sometimes in those moments we are really able to let go also of some of the dramas and the details of our personal stories. And we come to know the universality of all stories, the story of life. We come to know another person's sorrow, another person's happiness, as if it was our own. In order for us to live in a sacred way in this world, we need to know what it means to be touched and how to touch. In order to live in a sacred way in this world, we need to be able to acknowledge our interconnectedness so that every thought, every word, every action is an expression of respect and friendliness. The practice that we are doing here this weekend, this practice of loving kindness, it is a practice of meditation which is actually an appeal to the heart. Now, in many ways, all of meditation practice is learning how to listen inwardly, how to listen to our own heart, how to respond and be guided by that which truly contributes to our well-being. Now this practice we are doing here of loving kindness, it really is an invitation to us to reconnect again and again to what is fundamental to our well-being, what is fundamental to the well-being of our world. This practice on a moment-to-moment -moment level is an invitation to connect again with our own capacity to let go, our own capacity for peace. It is an invitation to nurture and to nourish a great sense of impeccability in our lives and a great sense of respect. In learning to listen inwardly, in learning to connect again with what is of fundamental significance in our lives, in some ways our path in meditation becomes very simple because we know there are so many pathways we can follow in our lives of, of proving ourselves, of gaining, achieving, and getting rid of. And it's not to say that all of these pathways are irrelevant, but we are truly lost in any pathway unless we know how to listen to ourselves and how to respect and care for our well-being. In answering the appeal of this practice to listen to our own heart, 
we are connecting also to what is fundamental to the peace and well-being of all life. And out of this listening comes response. When we know how to listen well, we know how to respond well. This practice we are doing here, it's not just a, you know, yet another way of, of concentrating or another way of calming the mind. It is a way of learning how to be guided by our own understanding of what contributes to well-being and what contributes to the end of sorrow. It shows us, listening to our heart, through this practice, actually shows us how to live with impeccability and compassion. The whole of this meditation we are exploring here is a teaching about the preciousness of life. The whole of loving-kindness meditation is a teaching about honoring life in all of its different forms. It teaches us that there is nothing in our lives that is inconsequential. Every word we speak, every thought we hold, every action we engage in, all of these make a difference in our world. They create ripples and waves. Knowing that, we are not asked to be self-conscious. We are not asked to be judgmental. But we are asked to approach our own lives and our own being with a remarkable sensitivity and care. Knowing how to extend respect and care for our well-being, we will discover the ways to extend that respect and care to all living beings. There is another area of teaching, I think, which is involved in loving-kindness meditation. You know, so many people feel that there's a kind of division between um, a path of the heart and a path of wisdom. So many people feel, well, you know, a path of wisdom is about learning about non-attachment, learning about letting go, learning about emptiness. And many people also feel, well, a path of the heart is about compassion and responsiveness and warmth and friendliness. And it's often felt like there is some kind of gap or difference between wisdom and compassion. And I think, unfortunately, in many traditions, um, the path of the heart is sometimes kind of demoted to something you do after you've got your wisdom together. And, uh, um, or that it will somehow take you by surprise after you've got your wisdom together. You're suddenly going to find that you're boundlessly compassionate and loving. Um, I feel that this practice that we are doing here actually shows us how to reconcile so many of the apparent paradoxes of the spiritual life. It shows us the ways in which wisdom and compassion are so essentially interwoven 
unmarried together. It is true that in many, much of the path of meditation, there is such an emphasis upon letting go, upon non-attachment, upon non-holding as a path of freedom. Um, and it is a teaching we need to learn in our lives. But often it is interpreted that once you reach this glorified state of non-attachment, you know, actually you may not be very interested in having anything to do with the world. You know, you'll be living in such a kind of sublime state of transcendence, you know, that there's really not going to be much of a need for warmth or friendliness or compassion. Non-attachment is actually, I feel, one of the most profound expressions of love. It is something we do need to learn in our lives. We only need to reflect for a moment upon the things that we are attached to in our lives at this moment. It might be our opinions about what's right and wrong. We might be attached to our identities, our sense of who we are. We might be very attached to other people or to a belief system or to a philosophy. There are so many things that we have the potential to be attached to just to think of one of them and how it affects us in our lives. How often we are sometimes even tempted to call this attachment love, but actually this attachment is often simply divisive. It's holding, wanting for myself, wanting to protect, needing to defend, how often all of that needing and wanting to maintain, wanting to protect, wanting to defend, that's not love, that's fear. It is not love, it's fear. And how often in that fear, we don't know how to trust ourselves, and we don't know how to trust another person. We don't know how to trust our lives how to trust our world. Non-attachment doesn't mean in any way, um, you know, seeking the nearest divorce court or, you know, emptying your house into the nearest Oxfam shop or becoming a kind of, you know, bland, um, bland embodiment of, of, of no opinions. It is learning how not to hold, how to make no demand, how to be present in this life as it is with all of its changes and with an openness to learning, how to listen well and how to receive, to hold nothing as my own apart from you. We see that that willingness to make no demands, to invest in no results, to expect no return, it brings into our lives a quality of openness and a quality of vulnerability and connectedness, which is actually a profound expression of love. We are often in this path encouraged 
to look at what emptiness is, to see the transparency of self as a very profound expression of wisdom. This doesn't mean annihilation. It doesn't mean um, destruction or negation. But look at the ways in which holding on to our notion of self separates us from other. How often we feel apart or opposed, afraid of or challenging of the many selves that we encounter in our world. What would it mean if we didn't hold anywhere? What would it mean if we didn't protect and identify and say, this is what I am? The openness to learning that would come into our lives. And perhaps we would have the humility to see that in that. That the many people who surround us in our world are really no other than ourselves in a different form. So when we look into the face of another person, if we look carefully, if we look clearly, we do see ourselves in a different form. We really understand in that that what really enhances our well-being and freedom enhances the well-being and freedom of another. To serve another with loving kindness and friendliness in our lives is to serve ourselves with loving kindness and friendliness. Learning how to let go in our lives. This is not a punishment, it's a gift of compassion to ourselves and to our world. I never actually met anybody who would describe grasping as fun. Mostly, if you look at any experience of grasping of identification, this hurts. It is painful. Letting go is an act of compassion, a gift of compassion for ourselves and for our world. It is what enables us to step out of the prisons of rejection and anger and division. In letting go, you know, sometimes we think there's going to be something magical about loving kindness or warmth or friendliness that, um, you know, it's something we have to work at and develop, you know, and, and, and learn how to do. I think this is not really so much the case. I think actually what many people discover in this practice is that as they learn very gently to let go of anger, to let go of holding on to ill will, to learn how to not harbor um, unfriendliness or prejudice, that in that letting go there's a vast space that is opened and that the very nature of that space is warmth and sensitivity and friendliness. Now if you don't think that you have to try so hard to develop loving kindness, I think it is more that we learn the very simple lessons on a moment-to-moment -moment level of how to let go of cherishing and harboring. Simply how to let go 
And in that letting go, there is an enormous space within ourselves. So I mentioned yesterday evening, metta is translated to mean a boundless loving kindness and friendliness towards all beings. Now, I think for many people, this, you know, this sounds like a really good idea. But it also, for many people, actually, you know, once the mind gets busy with it, um, it starts to sound really impossible. It actually starts to sound really impossible. Very removed from our lives and very removed from who we are. Loving kindness is sometimes described as boundless, as unexclusive, as all-embracing and impartial. An impartial, all-embracing friendliness that accommodates all of life. Sometimes loving-kindness is described as the natural radiance and goodness of our own hearts that extends itself in, friendliness, in a friendliness that makes no distinction between friends and enemies, between allies and adversaries, that makes no distinction between what is worthy and unworthy, high and low, known or unknown. There is no preference and no prejudice. But that, that boundless loving kindness seeks only to foster and enhance the well-being of all life and to protect all life from harm. As I mentioned yesterday evening, that friendliness, that warmth and that honoring of life is likened to the relationship a mother would have an only much beloved child. Now I think sometimes initially when we hear this, you know, of course it sounds wonderful, but then we also find that our minds have a certain amount at times of resistance and opinions about it. For example, our minds often come up with all of the reasons why this kind of love is absolutely impossible and why it might even be quite undesirable. You know, there's this big but, but that arises. We think, well, you know, it would be wonderful to feel that way, but I have a number of issues and problems to sort out first. Or we think, well, of course it would be wonderful if there was boundless loving kindness, but what about all of these people in our world who promote injustice, who are oppressors or abusers, that they don't need loving kindness, they need to be stopped? Or we think, oh yes, it would be fantastic to have this boundless loving kindness, um, except for this person who I really have a lot of trouble with. You know, and really, they should change first, and once they've changed first, I'm going to be totally happy to be filled with loving kindness for them. You know, there's that wonderful um, Buddhist story about a, a nun in a monastery who, for a very long time, was, was able to be in solitude in the monastery, and her practice was really the practice of loving kindness and compassion, and she had this wonderful altar with Kuan Yin on it, the deity of compassion. And every day she would sit before her altar and recite sutras of loving kindness and light incense and do frustrations. And all was wonderful until, of course, the new nun moved in 
you know, who happened to be a totally irritating type person, you know, who didn't respect her practice, you know, who who made a lot of noise, you know, who was kind of greedy. And so, you know, the first nun decided, well, you know, this is all very well, but this person is getting in the way of my loving-kindness meditation. <laughs> Therefore, I am not going to share my meditation with her, nor the merit from my meditation. And so in order to, to punish this most intrusive person, the first nun, she made a funnel so that when she lit her incense, all of the smoke wouldn't be shared with this other nun, but rather the smoke from her incense would only go to her, de her Kuan Yin deity, you know, and she could keep it apart. Of course, her deity, subjected to all of this intense incense smoke, turned completely black. We need to be aware that many of our thoughts are really describing our areas of holding. I mean, it's useful to look at the thoughts that arise within ourselves. If we were to pose the possibility to ourselves that we were intending to live with a boundless loving kindness for all life, including ourselves, to listen to the thoughts that arise, because these thoughts often tell us about where we are holding, where we are clinging. Now, in practicing loving-kindness meditation, we are not asked to suppress the thoughts that arise or to bypass our objections or to try and dismiss them. We are asked to listen well and to really ask, what kind of pathway do we wish to walk in our lives? To really ask ourselves whether many of our thoughts do not actually um, confine us in many ways to a pathway of sorrow and alienation and to really ask whether that kind of commitment, that intention to rest in loving-kindness, whether that doesn't open to us the possibility of traveling a pathway of healing and connectedness. And to really know that there's not an ideal time in our life for that pathway to begin, you know, sometimes we think, well, you know, there's going to be a better moment to do this, you know. Um, you know, once I've, you know, uh, you know, told this person I dislike what I think about them, or, you know, once I've been in therapy for a few years, or, you know, once I've done a lot more meditation, it's going to be a better moment, I'm sure. You know, to cultivate that intention, that wholehearted intention to live with loving kindness there may actually not be a better moment to be awake. There may actually not be a better moment to cultivate and nurture that commitment. And it is a quiet commitment. It is a gentle commitment. You know, nurturing loving kindness, it, it doesn't mean 
you know, it doesn't mean some romantic notion, you know, of, of, of sainthood. You know, that from now on our lips are going to be sealed whenever we object to something, you know, and never again will we offer criticism to anyone. It doesn't mean that. And having that commitment to loving kindness, it, it doesn't mean that, you know, suddenly we must strive and, and you know, achieve and attain and, and, and have no other thought but developing loving kindness meditation. It is not what it's about. You know, this is not a pursuit of some notion of saintliness or perfection. Our path, our path of loving kindness, can only begin where we are and within who we are, not in some other place. Our path of loving kindness begins actually within the very resistances we may judge. Our path of loving-kindness begins within the feelings of, of dullness or indifference or holding. Our path of loving-kindness begins within those relationships where we struggle. It does take a certain amount of faith and trust to nurture this practice. You know, and although our minds might say, well, there's nothing logical about loving-kindness meditation, you know, there's never going to be in the, a moment in the world where all beings are free from pain or live in peace, and our minds may go over the fact, now there's nothing logical, but in my understanding, there is nothing logical about hatred. There is nothing truly logical about ill-will or division. And it is far more a question of which pathway we choose to follow in our lives. A pathway of healing or a pathway of disconnection. Our loving-kindness embraces our own moments of struggle, our own moments of judgment, our own moments of anger. The point of this practice is that it can accommodate all things. It is powerful enough to welcome all things. It is not always an easy practice, this practice. There is much that is asked of us to sustain a connection with an open heart. And there is no doubt that this practice challenges many of our most deeply held patterns of conditioning. When we do this practice in a sustained way, and if you choose to do more of it in your life, you really see the way in which this practice of loving-kindness acts as a kind of mirror for ourselves, because we become increasingly aware of the ways in which we might disconnect or close down. We become increasingly aware of the patterns we might have of judgment or indifference or self-centeredness. We might become very aware of moments of jealousy, of defensiveness, of fear. And sometimes when we encounter those patterns in ourselves and this practice, those, that encounter seems to create more ways. I mean, I don't know if you've noticed at all here today, you know, 
perhaps you were thinking about a friend and you found yourself having this kind of niggling thought about them, well, you know, they were a friend, but they never did return that thing they borrowed from me, you know, and, you know, I wish they were a little bit more mindful. And, you know, we feel that sense within ourselves, oh, so judgmental. I, I really shouldn't be so judgmental. It's terrible to be judgmental, you know. I'm such an awful person for being so judgmental. Um, and there's this kind of spiral that happens. And we, we see the ways in which our se- within ourselves, the way in which judgment or anger or aversion can act almost as a magnet for more judgment or anger or aversion. This, my mind mention also works in the world. Um, to learn, to learn that the moments that we falter in this practice, they do not invite us to bring in yet more, more shoulds, more demands. The moments that we falter in this practice in our, and in our lives, these moments when we encounter judgment or fear, they are not enemies to be overcome. They are the compost for understanding new ways of seeing. They are the soil and the ground in which we can open to new ways of seeing. The most fertile moment to learn about compassion is the moment of anger. The most fertile moment to learn about loving kindness is in the moment of rejection. The most fertile moment to learn about generosity is in the moment of resistance or judgment. There are not better moments to learn these lessons. These are the moments that actually invite us to travel new pathways and to learn the power of this practice. And I would really like to emphasize that, you know, on an intellectual level, on a conceptual level, it's so easy to be compassionate or, you know, filled with friendliness and filled with warmth. The moment when we are truly asked to be compassionate is in the moment when we are most deeply challenged by anger or by fear or by judgment. These moments are, in many ways, doorways. They are open doorways out of the prisons of hatred, of contraction. They are doorways that invite us to travel new paths. One of the qualities we are asked to cultivate in developing the practice of loving kindness is the quality of forgiveness. Forgiveness is the basis of beginning anew in all of our relationships. Our relationship with ourselves and our relationship with others. Forgiveness is certainly crucial to deepening in loving kindness. We may very well in our lives have been hurt by another, been judged, been rejected, been alienated by another. 
We may very well in our lives have been condemned by another in thought, in word, and in action. So many times the result of our rejection of feeling hurt is to create an image. Create an image of ourselves, create an image of those who have rejected us. And in creating that image, to cast that other person out of our heart. Sometimes we want to hurt another person in return. We may ourselves have done or said something or many things which have caused sorrow to another person. We may have done or said things that we regret or that we feel ashamed of. Remember the lesson that Gandhi, Mahatma Gandhi once said, an eye for an eye is a terrible way to blind the world. When there is a lack of forgiveness, we harden our hearts. And in holding on to what has already gone by, we are unable to begin anew. In holding on to what has already gone by, we deny understanding and the possibility of change. Forgiveness is important. To know that as long as we do not forgive, in many ways, we are the vehicles for perpetuating pain and sorrow. And that the end of pain and sorrow sometimes is only born of letting go of that which has already gone. Now forgiveness is linked to humility. It is easy to condemn, and sometimes there seems to be so much in our world to condemn. It is easy to feel righteous and superior when we are faced with something that is very unskillful or something that we call ignorant. We look at other people in our world at situations of violence or destruction and we say, I would never do that. To reflect upon the manifold possibilities in our lives. If our lives were different, if we had lived surrounded by hatred, if we had been deprived of love, of care, of sensitivity, who would we be? Anything another person does has possibly been done by us before. Anything we can do or said, say or feel has been said or felt before. It is easy in highlighting imperfection to lose faith in the goodness and the possibilities of life. On our own journey, we have never stopped learning, and we have never stopped growing. There are many, maybe many doors we have to open, and many knots we have to untangle. What allows us to continue with that journey is somewhere we have a faith in our own possibilities. The greatest gift to another human being, no matter what they have done or said, is to have that faith, to extend that same faith, in their possibilities, to learn, to grow, to open. There's a wonderful saying that says, you know, you can put someone out of your house, but never put them out of your heart. 
to learn how to forgive, to learn how to accept, it requires an immense humility. That willingness to say, I don't know. I don't know you. I don't even know myself. No matter how many images I might have of you or of myself, None of these images can ever really be a true description of anything at all, except the past. To be able to say, I don't know. I don't even know myself. That's not an expression of ignorance. Sometimes an it's an expression of a profound trust in our own possibilities, in the possibilities of another. To really be aware of how acceptance is linked to humility and forgiveness and about how acceptance is not passive or resignation, about how acceptance is really about not being deceived by images, not being deceived by images, to learn how to rest within that not knowing, no matter how unskillful we have been in the past. No matter how much unkindness we have encountered in our lives, where do we begin to live with loving kindness? Something else I'd like to read to you from the Dhammapada. It is a conversation. It says, Look how he abused me and beat me. He threw me down and robbed me. Live with such thoughts and you live in hate. Look how she abused me and beat me, how she threw me down and robbed me. Abandon such thoughts and live in love. This practice we are doing here is really about a change of heart. It's really about a simple change of heart a commitment to traveling in a different pathway in our lives and a commitment to learning new lessons, the lessons of care and sensitivity, lessons that are not entirely new to us, the lessons that we need to reclaim, to know their healing power, to know their bonding and connecting power. They are simple lessons of just returning again and again to ourselves and to this moment to our connection with this moment in a spirit of openness and care and warmth. It is sometimes said it is not easy to live with loving kindness. It is far more difficult to live without it. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.